by Seven Chakras, episode 204. Thou art love, lover, and the beloved you seek. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, founder and host of My 7 Chakras, the show where we dive deep into the ancient world to uncover nuggets of wisdom that will help you find your life's purpose and beyond. So if you want to learn about energy healing, the chakras, yoga, meditation, and other such juicy topics, then take a deep breath because you are listening to the right show. But before we move on, as always, let's listen to a recent iTunes review, which is by a user named Mushi. The review is titled, Inspiring to Say the Least. And it says, I've been drawn to just about every topic that is discussed in these podcasts in some way or another for many years. Listening to each of these episodes has opened my eyes to all the different ways that we can heal ourselves and each other. And it is not limited to one thing or another. I love this podcast. I tell all my friends about it as well as the things I have learned. I feel very uplifted and inspired by each one. Thank you for sharing with us, AJ. I hope you continue to reach many more years. And together, we all raise human consciousness from the looming darkness. It's been in for centuries so thanks a lot for this super review mushi action tribe if you've never written an itunes review before it's super simple look at the page our show page on your iphone hit the reviews button and then hit write a review it's really simple if you want to send me your thoughts and experiences you can also send me an email to aj at my seven chakras.com seven is a word that's aj at my seven chakras.com or we can connect on instagram my handle is at my seven chakras and with that out of the way it's now time to bring on our featured guest for today, Rachel Harris. So, Rachel, are you ready to inspire? Oh, yes, absolutely. Super. So, psychologist Rachel Harris is the author of Listening to Ayahuasca, New Hope for Depression, Addiction, PTSD, and Anxiety. She was in private practice for 35 years working with people interested in psycho-spiritual development. During a decade working in research, Rachel received a National Institutes of Health New Investigators Award and published more than 40 scientific studies in peer-reviewed journals. She has also consulted to Fortune 500 companies and the United Nations. So that is a lot of amazing stuff that you've done, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you on. I'm so pleased to be with you. Great. So like we always do in our show, we always begin with some inspiration. So let me ask you, Rachel, what is your favorite inspirational quote and how does that quote apply in your day-to-day life? Well, I'm going to give you a very tiny little quote from one of my favorite poems, and it's by Hazrat Anayat Khan. He's Indian. I don't know if you know who he is. He was a Sufi at, uh, the early ni- in the early 1900s, and he came from India to this country to teach. And the poem is called Dance of the Soul. And the last line um, is really beautiful, and I just have this tiny little quote that I hope will inspire your listeners to Google Oh dear, how are they ever going to spell Hazrat Anayat Khan? Um, The poem is called Dance of the Soul, which is easier to spell. And at the end of this beautiful poem, he says, Thou art love, lover, and the beloved you seek. And so this points to a non-dual reality. You're 
you're everything. You're love, lover, and the beloved you're searching for, meaning God. And uh, so in my daily life, gee whiz, you know, I, I'm living in a dualistic world. But um, when I am conscious about my life and what I'm doing in the moment, I do sort of check in with that non-dual experience. I remember it and remember um, to um, connect with that source within myself. That's a really inspiring quote. Thou art the love, lover, and the beloved you seek. I think that's really amazing and profound in many ways because like we're learning, like we always learn in our episodes that, you know, you have the universe outside of you, but there's also a microcosmic universe within you. And if you take the time to really understand that microcosmic universe within you, and you will realize that you have the love, the lover, and the beloved you seek all within yourself. And once you recognize that love, it will show, and you're automatically able to attract the love, the external love, or the beloved or the soulmate that you seek. So love the quote. Thanks a lot for sharing this amazing quote with us. And with that, let's dive in. So let's talk about your book, uh, Rachel. What inspired you to write your book, Listening to Ayahuasca? Well, inspire is really the key word here. Mm-hmm. I sort of um, happened, I, I serendipitously found a, an ayahuasca ceremony, and maybe I should say what ayahuasca is so people understand what I mean by an ayahuasca ceremony. It's a tea that it's used as a medicine in, by indigenous tribes in the Amazonian forest, and it happens to release a psychedelic um, chemical that yields a psychedelic, often mystical experience, but certainly a healing experience. And so it's kind of become more popular in Western countries. And so what happened for me is I had, I really didn't know about this medicine. And in the, around 2005, I signed up for a retreat just for a vacation getaway to go someplace warm in the middle of winter mm-hmm. from New Jersey where I was living. I thought it made perfect sense. And a few days before I left for the retreat center, uh, someone called me and said, do you want to participate in the ceremonies? And I brilliantly said, what ceremonies? So mm-hmm. I was pretty clueless. And then the other side of it is I was very lucky. This, these were authentic ceremonies in a safe situation. And so I'm in the awkward position of telling people to be very careful and research, you know, wherever you're going and whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then I report that I, of course, just serendipitously fell into it. But um, after a couple of ceremonies, and and uh, I was really inspired to. I mean, the ne- the very next morning of my first ceremony, I woke up with all kinds of. Well, I'm a, a researcher and a psychotherapist, so I had Western psychotherapy questions. How does this work? How did mm-hmm. how did the medicine know to take me to these very specific healing experiences? And of course, you can't ask indigenous shaman these kinds of Western questions. They they don't understand and. Moreover, they don't have any interest in them. They, you know, and especially coming from a woman. So I realized, you know, I have to really look for the answers myself. And so I began reading about this medicine. And eventually a voice, I literally heard a voice, which was really the first time in my life. I'm not accustomed to hearing voices. And the voice basically said, do the research. Mm. And so I rose to that um, mission. And I started developing a research study to look at what um, people from how people in North America in a Western country, so that's the U.S. and Canada, were using this medicine in 
in North America. So the criteria to enter into the study was to have had at least one ayahuasca experience in North America. So I was not going to Peru or to the jungle, or mm -hmm. I was not leaving the country. I was not studying indigenous use. I wanted to know what Westerners were seeking with this medicine. Got it. I think that's a wonderful explanation, not only about the, the, the tea, but also of your experience as well. You mentioned that it's a tea that is used as a medicine by the tribes, and it releases a psychedelic chemical that causes a mystical experience, a mystical uh, phenomena? Sometimes. Sometimes, Sometimes it okay. does. It's, uh, it's very unpredictable. Mm, okay. So at that point, you did not know about this medicine. You did not know about this ceremony. You had signed up for a retreat. And then at that point, somebody asked you, do you want to partake in this ceremony? So talk to us about the experience. What, what was the experience like exactly after you went to the ceremony and you had the tea? Well, that, that very first experience was very important to me. And I think it really sort of bonded me hmm. uh, to this medicine. I went back to the time when my father died. I had brought him home to my house to die in around 1998 or so. And um, he, so he died in my home under hospice care. And, you know, those last, I don't know how many of your listeners have lived with somebody who's dying in their home. It gets pretty intense. Mm -hmm. And um, the last few days, you know, you hear the change in the breathing and you know death is approaching, but you don't know when. And it's, uh, it's just a very intense experience. I mean, it's called a death rattle. So it's a pretty dramatic sound. And um, I was pretty shaken by the whole experience. And uh, when I went to the ceremony, I asked, you know, my intention was to go back to that experience right around my dad's death. And that's exactly what happened. And this time I went with him as he mm -hmm. died. And it was I felt almost like a rocket ship shooting up into the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And so I literally accompanied him. Um, in a way that I wasn't quite able to when he was actually dying. It was too frightening for me. So, you know, seven years later, and uh, I was more more able to go with the experience. And so it was this incredibly therapeutic and mystical experience that I had that first time. Love and that. that. Yeah, and that's what has made me, you know, how did that happen? How did, you know, ha that was so specific to my personal experience. How did... How did the medicine know to take me there? It was quite I, it was quite remarkable for me. So what caught my attention was that you said that your intention at that point was to go back to that experience, right? The last few days yes. of your yes. father's uh, life. And like you mentioned, it's called the death rattle. It was very difficult for you to go to that phase at that point. But at this, when you were having the tea, you got to revisit that experience once again, along with your father. And, uh, um, you know, love the imagery of a rocket ship. You actually went to went back in Time, so to speak. So my question right now at this point is, how is this plant used in South America? What do the tribes use them for? Well, things get, you know, the, the answer to that is going to sound much different. I mean, mm. first of all, it removes parasites because okay. the tea is um, is a purgative. So so this is not a, uh, a recreational sure. medicine. I mean, it's really quite um, unfu not fun. So mm. everybody has their own little a bucket next to them because many, many people purge, which means they vomit into their own little bucket. And then the other thing is you also have to be able to get to a bathroom or somewhere because people also get cleaned out through diarrhea. So it, this is how it removes parasites. Now, we don't kill them in Western countries, but that's certainly how it's used in South America. But it's also used for um, telepathic purposes. So 
uh, people can, uh, in, during the ceremony, they can literally see as if they're watching a TV, and, and they can see in their visions where the animals are that they want to hunt. So then oh. the next morning, they get up and go hunting, and they know where the animals are. Now, be, you know, it's also used to put curses on people, you know, and to find out if your spouse is cheating on you, or sure. to try and get someone to fall in love with you. So it's used for a wide range of purposes in, in the indigenous cultures. But mostly the Westerners, when Westerners are asked, what, what are you interested yeah. in with this medicine? It's basically a psycho-spiritual answer. They're wanting uh, personal healing and spiritual opening. Got it, got it. So I'm curious, uh, how did ayahuasca reach North America? What's the story behind that? You know, the uh, poetic answer, <laughs> and this is from a scientist, <laughs> is yeah. that the plant spirit that ayahuasca, grandmother ayahuasca herself is intentional. Mm. and and she um, is is moving into the West in order to help us. And uh, we do need quite a bit of help. Uh, yeah. the, the other answer is that ethnobotanists, people who study plants in, 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 that are used in ethnic cultures, they were the first ones to travel into these uh, remote areas of the Amazon basin and discover the plants and, and uh, understand how they're used. And that was in the early part of the 1900s. And uh, eventually enough um, people traveling in South America and having experiences there began to bring them back into the West. Mm -hmm. I like the most is that the, the plant spirit herself is intentional in reaching into the West to help us out because we need it. Got it. I love that as a you know psychologist, you have multiple angles of looking at things. And it's obviously because you have gone there, you have experienced, you've connected with the communities over there, and you bring that really amazing uh, perspective to us. So thanks a lot for sharing. So uh, what is DMT? DMT is the chemical that's released in, okay. the, in the tea. So it's dimethyltryptamine. And that itself is psychedelic. And it's listed okay. In, in Western cultures as uh, Schedule 1, which means it's dangerous and has no medical benefit. Now, I want to point out that marijuana is also listed as Schedule right. 1, as dangerous with no medical benefit. And of course, uh, we realize that it's legal now in almost half the states, and there's plenty of medical benefit. So the scheduling of these drugs is way out of date. Mm -hmm. And it's because historically, it's because of Richard Nixon's war on drugs in the early 70s, he not only outlawed all these psychedelic medicines, but he, uh, he, he shut down all the scientific research. So we mm -hmm. had no opportunity to begin to explore scientifically right. how these medicines could be used in therapeutic ways. So it's really the people themselves who have demanded that marijuana become available, right. and that's been the, the medical use of marijuana to start. Got it, got it. Now... Clearly, ayahuasca has so many benefits. For someone listening to this show, could you point out to us what are some of the amazing, uh, powerful benefits of using ayahuasca? Well, let me say that, um, you know, when ayahuasca, when I heard a voice saying, and I felt my experience was it was grandmother ayahuasca, she said, do the research. I focused, she didn't give me any other instructions. Mm -hmm. So as a therapist... I focus the research on what happens after the ceremony. How are you changed? How is your life different? What What are the benefits? And people um, consistently uh, described 
very um, broad therapeutic benefits, the same things that we look for in psychotherapy. And so the first one is that they felt more self-acceptance and self-compassion. They were kinder to themselves and less critical. Certainly it's one of the things we look for in psychotherapy. People also, so these are 81 people who completed questionnaires, and then another 50 who I interviewed. So this is a good sample, and it was a rolling sample finding people who were willing to participate. Um, Their mood improved, meaning they suffered with less depression and less anxiety. Their interpersonal relationships improved. Uh, People were um, not only more accepting of themselves, but more accepting of their spouses, their loved ones, their families, more open to uh, what's, the word that's used most frequently is I'm more interested in authentic relationships. Mm. Now, I, I have to tell you, I just heard that recently from a guy who's been in his early 60s, and he's been playing the field for all these years. You know, he's been uh, a player, mm. and he's had maybe half a dozen ceremonies, and now he's finally <laughs> seeing the light, so to speak, <laughs> and realizing that maybe what's really important to him is a more authentic relationship rather than just quantity. I don't know how else to say that. People also <laughs> changed their lifestyles, and they, they were more interested in, um, uh, as they say, more fruits and vegetables, less junk food. Um, people often the next morning woke up and said, alcohol is a poison. I'm not going to drink anymore. And these were people, I mean, I know a few people who were well on their way to becoming alcoholics and stopped drinking completely. And I followed many people for five to seven years. I've maintained these relationships. And these people have not gone back to drinking. This was not taking two months off of alcohol. They stopped drinking for five to seven years. So, you know, these are very interesting self-reports that we're getting that that really do indicate there is great therapeutic potential in this medicine. Wow. So based on what you shared, I'm uh, I'm seeing a lot of change in emotions in response to stimuli from the external environment, a lot of change in feelings, a lot of change in mindset, um, change in behaviors, like you said, change in the ability of a person to experience and feel compassion, less critical of themselves, more kindness, relationships are being nourished. The food intake, like you mentioned, people are eating healthier, maybe eating less, less binge eating and a reduction in addiction. For example, if they drink too much, they wake yes. up and say, you know, I don't want to drink. That's it. And and some of these changes happen spontaneously. And I had no mm-hmm. way to describe them except to say, It's a miracle cure. For somebody who has suffered with depression all their lives to wake up the next morning and say the depression lifted and has stayed lifted without even more ceremonies, we have no way to explain this. How did this happen? We... There's a lot of mystery, um, but that happens to a small fraction of the people, and there's no predicting who's going to have that benefit. Um, other people, it's kind of a slow therapeutic process of unfolding. So it happens over time, maybe with repeated ceremonies, so they don't experience that miracle cure, but they do experience improvement. Beautiful. So I love the fact that you say that the depression was lifted in many cases, just like, you know, there's a cloud on top of you and that is lifted and if you really think about it if you see the auras of a human body people who can see the aura when a person is depressed they can actually see you know thought forms which are gray which are brownish which are hovering around the person and like you rightly pointed out when the depression is lifted that thought form or that energy form is lit 
literally lifted off the body. So love, uh, love that. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be really interesting to to have someone who can see yeah. um, the aura, check people out before and after a ceremony. It would be interesting. That would but be it's amazing. probably not going to be the first scientific research that's done. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Now, when I hear the term ayahuasca, I can hear shamanic drums in the background. I can feel the damp, cold rainforest. I can smell the moist, <laughs> wet moss on the tree. Can, can you, you describe? The, can you hear the monkeys howling i can <laughs> so is it something like this or am i overthinking it <laughs> no no i think you've got it exactly you know when it, when you're in the rainforest and there are rainforests in costa rica and other and other parts of the world you know these rainforests at night are very loud i mean the frogs are very right. the frogs alone are, are a loud chorus and so the experience of being in this intense um, immersion in nature is really part of the ceremony as well. We don't have a good way to duplicate that uh, in North America. And um, we don't have the same kind of dense rainforest vegetation mm. here. Um, but, uh, you know, the ceremonies that are done here, I, I don't know what to say about them. I can't just refer people to them because it so much depends on who's, who's the so-called shaman. Are yep. they really trained? Are they really a shaman? Do they know what they're doing? What's really in the medicine? We have no way of mm. knowing. And then, you know, what's the setting? Are you safe? Are you in nature? Um, these are very difficult questions to, to answer ahead of time. So I, I tell people, be very, very careful where you go if you do choose. And this is a very powerful psychedelic. Yeah. And it's, you know, I want to tell you honestly, pretty much everybody before a ceremony is nervous, even the most experienced people, because mm -hmm. it's these can be very difficult ceremonies. And, yeah. and because you never know exactly what's going to happen. And even if you're experienced and a good navigator, as they say, you still don't really know what's going to happen. So this is not something to to pursue lightly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, based on what you've shared, uh, you've sort of suggested that there's a strong spiritual connection to ayahuasca as well, right? Yes. So, you know, the, the indigenous point of view is that these medicinal plants have teacher spirits connected with them. Mm -hmm. And so Grandmother Ayahuasca is considered the plant teacher for um, the ayahuasca vine and then the drink that's named after the vine, even though it's mixed with leaves from a chacruna plant, which is part of the coffee family. Okay. Um, and it's the mixture itself that makes the DMT, the psychedelic drug, available in this medicine. And so uh, in my research, a female shaman told me to ask in the research questionnaire, do you have an ongoing relationship with the spirit of ayahuasca? Mm. And so I just did what my consultant told me to do I you know I, I felt they knew much more than I did and that was true and and so I asked that question and I asked how do you communicate and 75% of 81 people said that they had an ongoing relationship with the spirit of ayahuasca now these are westerners and this is mm. not a western concept right. and so I, I was really, uh, even though I felt that I was receiving communications and instructions from the spirit of ayahuasca, I couldn't believe that three quarters <laughs> of the people also felt that. So she's really busy. <laughs> and so, That's and then true. people reported an ongoing relationship with her where she is always available to them. They connect with her in dreams and in meditation. So she's like the perfect therapist. You don't have to make an appointment. <laughs> she's always available. And, and, uh, 
they felt that she was always supportive. And even when she was a little harsh, which mm-hmm. she can be like a stern grandmother, they felt they really had confidence that the advice was in their own best interest. And let mm-hmm. me give you an example of the stern grandmother, because this was reported by a, a 20-something young guy. She said to him, go home, cut your hair, and clean up your room. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that qualifies as a spiritual experience, but it certainly is good advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. Advice comes from a grandmother's perspective and basically saying, grow up. <laughs> yep. Lots of times that can be good spiritual advice. <laughs> so there you go, Action Tribe. Medicinal plants have teacher spirits as then as we are learning grandmother ayahuasca. Now, uh, Rachel, having said that, I also have heard of adventurers and journalists who went deep into the rainforests, tried the tea and had really bad dark trips where they had hallucinations of death and snakes and lizards and whatnot. What do you have to say about that? Well, you're calling that bad, but that can be standard. Mm. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I mean, this is why, you know, I caution. This is a very powerful okay. um, medicine and people do have... Um, amazing visions that some people enjoy and some people are terrified by. And if somebody has a history, for instance, of psychosis, this is not something they should do. You just don't, you don't want to take chances that you could go off the deep end, especially when you're out in the jungle where there's, you know, you're hours away from any kind of medical help. And then who knows what the medical help really looks like. Uh, And in, in this country, you know, certainly we're closer to medical help, but people can still have um, difficult experiences, and I'll I'll give one example of uh, a, a young man who who went to a ceremony. He had carpooled with people. Okay. Um, the next morning, people they did sort of a sharing circle, and people talked about their experiences. And then people packed up and went home. and And so, you know, his carpool dropped him off. He walked into his apartment, and he called a cab and went to an emergency room. And he was having a full blown panic attack. So that's. Being becoming frightened, having a panic attack is is one of the more frequent responses that when someone gets in trouble. And those the uh, the underground community in this country, we have to take better care of each other and not leave each other alone. I mean, to be left alone when you're terrified with a panic attack is never the right thing. And so I think the underground community is gradually learning how to take care of each other better. And I, and I hope that learning continues. And that, that for sure, is, is one of the key, mm-hmm. key issues. So, you know, I, I got such um, positive reports from most people that I began to actively look for people who'd had a bad mm-hmm. trip. And I had had a very difficult experience. And, you know, other people reported reliving childhood abuse and trauma. And so there were people did report very, very difficult experiences. But then at the end, after this horrifying story, they would tell me, they would say, but I learned so much from it. I don't want to say it's a bad trip. So, you know, there's that therapeutic potential is there even with the most frightening and difficult experiences. Now, here's a question that I'm sure many of our listeners have on their minds. What are the risks involved? Or if a person might be considering it, what should he or she keep in mind? Yes, thank you. Um, Because I'd like to continue on this same topic. And if somebody's taking antidepressants, they should not mix antidepressants with ayahuasca. Mm. There's a risk of serotonin syndrome, which is an overdose of serotonin. And uh, that's not a that's a dangerous situation. So people have to be off um, of uh, any antidepressants for at least six weeks. 
And that in itself is a risk. If somebody's on an antidepressant, they often need help uh, getting off of it. And then are they going to plunge into a deep depression, which perhaps one ceremony or even a couple of ceremonies may not lift them out of? So these are serious uh, decisions to make. Awesome. So thanks a lot for sharing that. Now, you have studied so many experiences. You know, you've collected uh, data from so many people. Talk to us about a person who had a health challenge and experienced a massive transformation after the ayahuasca experience. Well, you know, there was one uh, PhD psychologist who was dying of, uh, I think it was actually brain cancer. And, you know, this is... uh, there are stories that ayahuasca cured my cancer. I mean, we really need a lot of research because there are always stories yeah. like this. Um, so we don't really know. And it did not cure her cancer, but it reassured her to know that she would be taken care of. Now, that's really important as someone faces a terminal illness to feel secure that they will be taken care of. A, a, a similar story was a woman had, I think it was ovarian cancer, and she went to a ceremony. Ceremony, again, hoping for a cure. And the message she got was, get the surgery. Mm. <laughs> this is the stern grandmother ayahuasca. Do the surgery. I mean, for God's sakes, do the surgery. She went and had the surgery and she's fine. So does that count as a miracle cure? I don't know. I mean, it certainly was good advice. So, you know, people have reported help with medical issues, but these are just testimonials. And, and there's a lot of research that's needed to be done to begin to really understand what 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 is in the medicine that's really helping them so it's it's not just the dmt is the active ingredient yeah. there's also a harmine h a r m i n e that's an active ingredient in the vine in the ayahuasca vine and they're finding that that's very helpful for some neurological illnesses so there's a, this is really a plea for research got it so if there are many many medicines are developed out of plant medicines from indigenous peoples and and from jungles and and plants and trees yeah. So this would fit into into that same pattern. Got it. Now, if this plant has so many benefits, why is it uh, still illegal? And what do you see as the pathway in the next couple of years? Do you think it might get legalized? In a couple of years, not in a couple okay. of years. Um, it Because DMT is released into the body and that's a psychedelic drug. Oh, and that's hmm. how it ended up in category one with LSD and psilocybin. And, and so the first stages of research are to prove that any of these drugs are safe to administer. And that research has been going on for about a decade now, but mostly with LSD and psilocybin because those drugs are easy to control dose and potency. Ayahuasca is a a plant mixture. It's very difficult to control dose and potency. And the stories Mm. from the shaman are that the potency in the plants depends upon the songs that you sing when you harvest the plants. The potency changes whether it's morning or evening or full moon or new moon. I mean... You know, how do we know? (laughs) And uh, and there was one attempt to do a a research study here in the States, and and the design was to use freeze-dried ayahuasca in capsules, which is what they're using in the research in in Barcelona in Spain. And so uh, they wanted to use indigenous shaman to do the ceremonies. And the shaman looked at these capsules, and they said, there's no spirit in them. We can't use Mm. these. So you see the research gets very complicated very quickly. Right, right, right. You mentioned potency depends on the song you sing when you're planting the plant. That's that's what they told you, right? That's what they 
Uh, you know, we don't know, we don't think like this. We don't. This does not make sense to us. But yeah. this is part of uh, the indigenous cosmology. Yeah, it sort of uh, brings my attention to the experiment that was conducted, where you sort of say something to one uh, glass of water, and you say, you know, you say negative stuff, and then you say positive and loving stuff to another, and then you crystallize it, right? And then the yes. crystals that are formed are very different. And similar studies have been conducted to, you know, you planting something and you speak you know good words and loving words and caring and compassionate words to the plant it grows much better you know as compared yes. to if you speak yeah. negativity yeah that's a great like analogy that. with the water crystals yeah, i hadn't <laughs> thought of that it's great <laughs> awesome yeah. so thanks a lot for sharing all these amazing stories these perspectives and your insights from your study based on what you share today what is that one action step that you'd like to recommend for our listeners well you know you're talking to a psychotherapist so what i would always answer is um, self-compassion. And that includes compassion for all the stupid things we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we can still, we can always be compassionate to ourselves, even when, uh, you know, we're eating the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. We can we can always have some sense of compassion. You know, I had, I had a, a weekend experience of two ceremonies, a Friday and Saturday night, and I cried all night Friday night, and I thought, well, thank God that's over. It's got to get better. I cried all night Saturday night, mm-hmm. and I was pretty exhausted by Sunday. And, and really what I learned from that was great compassion for myself. I mean, I felt, um, I felt Grandmother Ayahuasca was really saying to me, I understand uh, some of the trauma you've experienced. Yeah. Oh, you're going to hear a train going by. There's nothing I can do about that. Oh, it's no very close. It feels um, like you're in a train. <laughs> really, yes, right. Which is amazing. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's going to get louder. That uh, Grandmother Ayahuasca was, um, was with me during that crying and very compassionate and was sort of saying, well, now I understand. And... And so th- that those two nights, difficult as they were, really sort of opened my heart to be less judgmental, less critical of myself. And I would say that's that we all need to learn how to be more self-accepting and more compassionate to ourselves. Well, thanks a lot for sharing Action Tribe to access the show notes for this episode. Visit my7chakras.com forward slash 204. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 204. As much as it pleases God to bless you, there will be moments when everything you try goes up in smoke. There will be moments when the one you counted on walks away and leaves you, groping through blinding tears and wailing questions of why. Plans and goals can be circumvented by the most disappointing of times, leaving you learning the art of patience and acceptance of denied requests. Now, this is an amazing quote by T.T. Jakes. Action Tribe, has this ever happened to you? When things don't go as planned, when things don't turn out the way you had imagined, or when someone or maybe a group of people let you down or betray you, or maybe you lost a lot of money recently, or you've been diagnosed with an illness, or you've lost a loved one, leaving you questioning, why is this happening just to you? I want you to know that the universe is always watching you and is at your side, like we're learning today, Grandmother Ayahuasca. It would not put you through this if you did not have the spiritual courage and strength to go through this. There are no coincidences, and the experience you're going through is there in your life to teach you something, to teach you something that will help you in your evolution. In such a situation, have the patience, have the compassion like we're learning today because you never know, you might just be one step away from a massive transformation and 
at that last step, that's when things feel the hardest. Just hang in there and you'll thank me later because I know without a doubt that you will get through this. So, Rachel, talk to us about a situation during which you experienced a major life challenge. How did you get into it, firstly? And then what steps did you take to overcome it? You know, I had what I would call, uh, I want to keep this about ayahuasca. I had what I would call a bad trip. I was in Costa Rica. Uh, I didn't have a panic, but I, I sort of got stuck in a childhood situation. And even when I came back to the States, I was sort of still living in it. And so what I want to talk about is I all the different things I did to kind of clear this experience out of my energetic system, my psyche, my body, my energy field. Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing I did is I went to my acupuncturist. And he basically took one look at me and said, well, you're not back in New Jersey yet. And so he did uh, three needles that were basically along the chakra line mm -hmm. to bring me back aligned into my body and into the here and now in New Jersey, which is where I was living. And that helped enormously. I, um, I talked to friends who were also therapists about the experience, and um, that was helpful as well. But, you know, the, the sense of depletion and energy loss lingered for a full six months. And I have to say, and I honestly don't understand this, finally I was at my summer place in Maine where I, I now live, but um, I was there just for the month of August back then. And I called a friend of mine in Miami who had been trained in shamanic healing. And she did a healing for me over the phone. Now, you, you have to understand this is... Totally, I have no understanding of how this helped. And she did a, a healing over the phone that lifted the remnants of whatever was still left in me from that um, ayahuasca ceremony. It was six months later. And so that, so I guess my message is try lots of different modalities and ask your friends for help and, and get therapy when you need it. Got it. So thanks a lot for sharing your story. I love that you kept it about today's topic, ayahuasca. You shared that you had a bad trip once when you were in Costa Rica, during which you got stuck in a childhood situation. And even though you returned to US, those memories, that feeling was still with you. And what you did was you didn't just stay there. You reached out to people around you for help. You went to the acupuncturist who worked on you. You spoke to friends to get some ideas and get some perspectives. But that feeling still stayed with you for a couple of months. And when you were in Maine, you had that telephonic healing session, which had a profound energetic effect on you. And that sort of helped you heal. So like you've mentioned the message, Action Tribe, is to know that no matter what you're facing right now, whatever challenge you're facing, there's always a solution to that. So the solution is, the first step is to reach out to people or the community around you and people who you know can help you. You know, asking a question doesn't mean you're weak. It just means that you need support. And the people who are supporting you know that when they need support, you will support them as well. And I think that's the mindset that we all need to have. Thanks a lot for sharing that, uh, Rachel. Thank you, Aisha. So action takers, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as we move on, let me leave you with this thought. As humans, there are so many things that we don't know yet. There are so many incidences and phenomena hear about in documentaries which science cannot currently explain. So many mysteries, like we're learning today, that are still behind the wheel, so to speak. So many stars and planets and galaxies that are yet to be discovered. So for a moment, let's bask in the glory of acceptance that there is so much to learn and discover. It's not a bad thing, you know. 
In fact, the ancient Taoist monks in China used to call this idea falling in love with the question. The truth is, just like we have the universe around us, we have a microcosm of the universe within us. The universe within you has always been and will always be connected to the macrocosmic universe around you. As you take steps to learn about this universe within you, as you take steps to ascend in your consciousness, be prepared for new experiences, new feelings, new observations, like we're learning so much from the stories that Rachel shared with us today. And so what I'm learning is that you need to have both a scientific mind as well as a spiritual perspective. And just like the scientist Max Planck, once said, the man who cannot occasionally imagine events and conditions of existence that are contrary to the causal principle as he knows it will never enrich his science by the addition of a new idea. So, Rachel, thanks a lot for sharing. As on today, what is your life's calling? Oh, I'm, this has been my life's calling for the past decade. So, I'm still in this uh, mission. <laughs> Got it. So if yes. you had to describe your life's calling in one sentence, what would that be? It's it's really been to help people. And and the book is, is written intentionally to help uh, people who are thinking about ayahuasca or have used it already and, and to help therapists working with those people. Absolutely. And in a moment, in a short while, we will share with our listeners how exactly they can get a you know hold of your newly released and amazing book because as they know our interview is just a snippet uh, you know top of the iceberg of what is really revealed in that wonderful book but let's talk about a defining moment uh, here uh, you know was there ever a defining moment in your life maybe a book a phrase that you read in a book or maybe an interaction that you had what is that one defining moment that really changed your life you know i i would have to go back to early childhood experiences of awakening basically of being aware and uh you know there are um many many people have these uh spiritual or mystical experiences and but they're not usually talked about in western culture mm -hmm. but when uh, the gallup poll or the pew research poll asks people have you had a spiritual or mystical experience 50 percent of the people say yes and i would say that the experiences of that nature that I had as a child really set me on my life's path. Wow. Thanks a lot for sharing. Now, with that, we've arrived at the last round for today, which is called the Wisdom Round. Contains four questions that need short but action-packed responses. So the first question <laughs> is... tough. You know, this is difficult. <laughs> well, you've got an abundance of information, so I'm just making it easier for you to share it with us. <laughs> and otherwise, I could speak on for hours and hours. But what is the best advice that someone has ever given you? You know, I think, I think the best advice I got was from my dad, who was a very uh, straight businessman. Okay. And he said, always invest in yourself, which I took to mean you know, that I should invest in any meditation classes I wanted to go to or retreats. And, and that, you know, I invested in myself in any kind of spiritual or psychological training. I don't know if that's mm. what he had in mind, but it right. was always invest in yourself. I'm sure your dad is smiling at you right now and saying, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> I'm sure what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> so name a personal habit that keeps you strong or keeps you going. You know, for me, the most important habit is um, being in nature. And uh, I spend the winters in Napa, 
which is a lovely little town in California, but most of my months are spent on a remote island off the coast of Maine, where I really live in the wilderness, basically. And that's the most important thing for me in my life right now. Which island is this? Is this the island on the intersection between Canada and USA? No, it's it's south of um, Acadia National Park. It's in Penobscot Bay. Oh. And there is a small community there. It's a, it's a traditional lobster fishing community. And then there's an extensive uh, seasonal community. And yeah. uh, so we all appreciate being in this beautiful nature. Yeah, yeah. I know the lobster part because I know I have a couple of friends who are actually from the east in Canada. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of lobsters there as well. So yes. I'm guessing the same region. Okay. So what is your morning routine like? What do you do during the first two hours of your day? You know, I, this one I'm prepared for. For some reason, this was the question <laughs> I prepared for. Okay. Here's the most important thing I do. And it's an old yogi yogic thing is that I have a plastic spoon, you know, that you can get in any supermarket, just a Mm. small spoon. And when I get up, the first thing I do is I scrape my tongue and rinse my mouth. And, you know, there's always gluck that comes off my tongue. I imagine this is going to be true for most of your listeners. And so there's the cleansing of the tongue every morning, and then I drink water. So name a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners today. You know, there's a really important book. It's not exactly an easy read, but it is well-written, and it's called A General Theory of Love, and it's written by three psychiatrists. It was out in the early 2000s, A General Theory of Love, and it's not a spiritual book. It's a psychological and scientific book about how we become who we are. So Action Tribe, I know how much you love our book recommendations, and I know that many of you purchase these books as soon as you hear them shared on the show. And that's why Audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so you can get out and check out their amazing service. Now, Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or Kindle, including bestsellers like The Chakra System by Anadia Judith, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. To download your free book today, to start listening today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash MSC. Once again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash MSC to start off with your free audiobook. So, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for sharing the learnings that you had from your amazing study. So much good stuff. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and tell us how we can find you online. Oh, yes. Well, I'm always grateful for love. I mean, if there's any theme here today, I think that would be the theme that uh, that love permeates the world. And I'm really grateful for that. And uh, I would I would say if someone wants to learn more, they can go to my website at um, listeningtoayahuasca.com. So there you go, Action Tribe, listeningtoayahuasca.com. If you feel that the spelling is a bit uh, difficult, then you can always go to my7chakras.com forward slash 204 and you'll have the link there as well. So you can just click and go straight to the website. So Rachel, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about the power of ayahuasca and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you very much, AJ. You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to mysevenchakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today.